So, I don't know, are you much of a gamer? I am a gamer. Actually, quite a bit of a gamer. I even like writing computer programs to uh, play games for me. Have any of them come to life? Uh, no, definitely not. But uh, my cribbage bot can kick my ass. Uh... It's a much better cribbage player than I am. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, speaking of kicking ass, the movie Free Guy came out. It's absolutely fantastic. And I think we should talk about it today on this episode. So uh, my name's Tim. I'm a data engineer and I'm the eternal optimist. Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm a data scientist. And when I'm not a theorist, I'm a cynic. And this is Kill All Humans. All right, so welcome to Kill All Humans, data and pop culture. So we're your hosts, Tim and Matthew. So if you haven't listened to the show before, basically we talk about pop culture references, such as the movie Free Guy, and we pick it apart, see is it realistic, uh, and what does it mean for humanity? All right, so this movie, just a quick recap, and of course, spoiler alerts if you haven't seen it before, basically revolves around an NPC, non-player character in a massive multiplayer online game who somehow becomes self-aware and becomes alive. So obviously, AI becoming self-aware is right up our alley. So long story short, it's a, it's a fun movie with Ryan Reynolds, and I think it actually does a lot of things well. What do you think, Matthew? I, I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it's a nice contrast to our first episode where we have the AI actually killing humans. In this case, there's no actual human death. So I think it's good for us to take a change of pace to a more lighthearted subject. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's nice. Well, like there it's interesting how like we always talk about AI as being the bad guy, but in this movie it's very clear that the bad guy wasn't the AI. The AI was the good guy, is humanity that kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, humanity definitely gets a bum rap in this movie for sure. Uh, not an undeserved one either. So I think, yeah. so let's kind of go into, first of all, the, the realism of, of how data is portrayed. So first of all, I really like that they kind of captured the environment of how like these massive multiplayer online games are. I think they also did a really good job. Now, neither of, uh, neither of us work in game development, but they kind of got a little bit of that culture. A lot of those inside jokes, speaking to my friends that were in game development. So I think they get a lot of great points for realism as far as kind of how games are developed and kind of what the culture is like around there. Um, some stuff of course was fictionalized because I mean, it, it is a movie and there's going to be some liberties taken with how data works, but I think overall it gets, uh, it gets pretty good score for me for realism. I, I really enjoyed the movie. It was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the world and all the little Easter eggs and, and the whole thing. I, I really got fascinated by the world because it's, it's much more advanced than most online multiplayer games actually are. And so it's, it's really neat to see how they portrayed that next generation environment. So obviously the elephant in the room is that we have a non-player character who comes to life. The way they portrayed it is they had the character sort of on a, on a pre-programmed loop saying, okay, this is what the character's behavior is going to be. But something came and broke the loop basically. So the, it was built on this backend engine of you know, there's a lot of machine learning, a lot of growth, that sort of thing. But there's a scene where they portray that something kind of fulfilled or broke the loop, which caused, and they actually showed decision trees branching off like crazy that built this character. I, I don't know if that was a conscious choice by the developer but just watching it visually watching all the all the all the learning that was happening there and all of a sudden boom it got to the point where he became self-aware i thought that was a particularly well done scene so i think how they handled that was absolutely excellent but i have to tell you i don't think he's self-aware i think he did some wonderful 
adaptation and evolution of his basic algorithmic structure. And I would definitely call him an artificial intelligence. In fact, I would definitely say that he fits very well. This character of Guy fits very, very well to people's ideas of what artificial intelligence are going to look like. So if you ask people on the street, you know, what do you think an artificial intelligence is going to be like? And they would probably describe something a whole lot like Ryan, Ryan uh, Reynolds' character. But that being said, I don't think he's sentient at all. I don't think he gets anywhere close. Yeah. I, I love how they portray his development, and they really do give us enough information to understand why he undergoes the transformation he goes into. So first you have the music. And it's definitely, he's getting some, what's just basically data leakage. Yeah. There's music coming in from the mic, and that's what triggers just a random element, and it triggers a change in his behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so cool, because that's exactly the kind of thing when you have the kind of creation that you have. You have this deep learning AI coupled with its own evolutionary adaptive algorithm. So you've got some ability that it can kind of rewrite its own code and readapt itself to a new environment. And so this little data leakage comes in, interferes with his processes, gets down through some of his own personal decision trees, and it really <laughs> it really messes with his head. And it's great to watch how carefully crafted that part of the movie is. so i i really like that part and i think it really is a very realistic betrayal of a combination of two algorithms or two branches of computer science which we're going to see a lot more of in the future coming together yeah and i think uh, i think what they they're doing in this movie too that i really liked is that again it's paying attention to these little details because you can't just do these things in movies anymore where it's like Oh, well, computers and no, like people actually are interested or want to know how these things are developed and are created. Right. So I think, uh, so right. I think actually taking the time to do that in, for lack of a better term, educating your audience a bit, um, uh, in using actual concepts and data that aren't just like, poof, it's magic. Or, you know, we hacked the Gibson by typing in the word rabbit or something or cookie. I don't know. Uh, so actually getting past that point, I think was amazing, but I do want to go back to something you said. Uh, and again, I think this can be a recurring theme on the show that you don't believe that Guy, the character, is self-aware. Now, what? Why do you? Now, why do you suppose you have that view? Where I may have a view that I think he absolutely is self-aware. I, I think it's a great debate to have. But the reason why I don't think he's self-aware is that he was programmed as a forlorn lover archetype, and coincidentally. The forlorn lover to which he is in love with, the person, or let me let me take a step back. The computer programmer who programmed Guy modeled him after a forlorn love that the computer programmer himself had for, coincidentally, <laughs> the very woman who initiates the transformation in his behavior. He is deliberately programmed to respond to this particular woman above all others. This is the woman to whom he is supposed to be fall in love with, but it's supposed to be this unrequited love. It's almost like it's computer-aided destiny here. <laughs> he is destined to fall in love with this woman and destined that this woman is going to be totally and madly in love with somebody else. Okay, so something happens in the loop that was if X happens, then Y, then Y event, which triggers all these trees, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, I don't really care 
care how it happened because I don't really think that the trigger is what is the determinant of self awareness. Like it, it's not it's not the snowflake that caused the avalanche; it's the village that got buried that I'm concerned about. Right? Uh, for me, it's I mean, realistically, for me, he has all the characteristics of what we would consider self aware. He he's afraid. He has a fear of mortality. He um, he's certainly aware that he uh, of his environment. He's uh, clearly intelligent. I mean, we at some point we have to come up with like an actual definition here, which I don't think we're ever realistically going to do because then the fun of the show's over. He hits all the right marks for being self-aware. So what is it? What what spark is he missing? Is it truly just the trigger point or like cuz the end result you got to admit is pretty uh like he found fulfillment and not in love at the end of the movie. So that that was interesting. The very end of the movie, I I will grant you maybe that it, as he has this relationship with his alter ego, the buffed out version of himself, dude, that is <laughs> that is the dude, the dude, as he, as he has this kind of interesting, weird relationship with the dude there, that's probably like the first moment where you could say, sure, but I don't know how aware of his environment he actually is. I kind of wonder that the environment's a little weird. I mean, first off, you have a world where every day is Wednesday. And yet you have these super advanced, incredibly intricate, adaptive NPCs that all they're doing is running around and saying bottled, <laughs> you know, <laughs> computer game lines, and they go through a daily schedule that's exactly the same. I, oh, I kind of wonder how this world just doesn't devolve into chaos. Like, I really wonder, <laughs> like, you know, why, well, why is it that they never invent a cappuccino before you know, three quarters of the way through the movie. I mean, <laughs> these are the things that I wonder about. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too, that, um, that, cause, okay. So the idea is uh, that the game developer was lazy, stole another world and basically just put their own cheap overlay on, on top of it, like to the point where they didn't right. even bother to clean up some of the aesthetics. Right. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. so what's interesting to me is that you kind of said the trigger point. So we have that trigger point of guy with the unrequited love. All of a sudden there's a love interest that just sort of appears, uh, with the song. Uh, but then guy then becomes a trigger point. It's like a cascade almost uh, between. So now we have cappuccino. Now we have, uh, now we have NPCs fighting back. It, it's so interesting mm -hmm. that just one little change and kind of shows you when you're making these systems or algorithms or machine learning, one little thing that you wouldn't think would be significant all of a sudden can cause the whole system to go down. And I love it. I just love this idea. Yeah. The, the avalanche is the best part of the movie that, and I, I really love just, a personal joy of my heart is watching the reinforcement learning scenes where he goes out, he decides he's going to be a hero and he's absolutely terrible at it. And he dies hundreds of times over and over again, uselessly, pointlessly, terribly, badly. And then one time in a thousand, he managed to do something moderately aptly, you know, moderately with some ability and then all of a sudden that snowballs too. And you can just right. see that once he gets it, it's like, wow, it just snaps in place. And he's just like skyrocketing up the charts once the, the algorithm take place. And that's actually how reinforcement learning actually yeah. works. It's yeah. rubbish to begin with. But then it clicks and it very, very quickly, an AI can become super exceedingly good at accomplishing a task. Yeah. So for our listeners uh, wondering how this works. So here, here's a little bit of an analogy, right? So let's say, let's say you've got dice. Let's say you've got a thousand dice. Okay. Uh, and you need to roll a thousand sixes. 
So here's a thousand dice. You need to roll a thousand sixes, right? Now that will take, if you just look at it, it's just randomly getting a thousand sixes out of a thousand dice. That's going to take forever. But if every time you got a six, you got to keep that six and just roll the other ones, then all of a sudden it doesn't take very long at all. In fact, you can probably, I mean, we can do the math if we want, but it probably would only take a couple dozen uh, rolls of thousand dice to get all sixes at some point. Now it's sort of a similar concept that basically the machine's just going to try all sorts of stuff based off its programming, but then what it's going to do when it gets it right, it's go, aha, I got that right. I'm going to keep trying that. And then it's just going to, you can also look online. Like there's, computers learning how to walk and it's completely weird like watching these animated figures they figure out they're waving their arms in funny ways and dying but yeah it's a very similar concept but yeah so i, I liken it almost like yahtzee dice right yeah no that's that's exactly right but ultimately it realizes that the dice is itself a part of the game and it can just <laughs> choose the six if it wants to but <laughs> i, I kind of like interestingly enough like one of the reasons like you asked me why i don't think you extendian because I, and in his limitations and his awareness of the environment, one of them that's really critical is the fact that he couldn't leave to go into the player-ready room. He couldn't see that the player-ready room was another space outside uh, of his zone. Okay. And, and that's one of the things. Now, I don't think the fact that Guy isn't sentient in any way diminishes from the coolness of the character. No, he has serious goal points. I mean, like, he's real. He's really interesting i'd love to play a computer multiplayer online world with him i think he's awesome <laughs> i just like to take I, I, my I, minecraft I, skin and make it look like guy i think i tried but yeah. i'm not very good at those <laughs> uh okay so let, let me let me ask you this then okay so part of what we do too is we also look at realism we, we're going to come up with a scale at some point that okay so as right. far as like realistic let, let's say today or <laughs> let's give us a trajectory five six years from now how realistic do you think a scenario like this could we actually see a guy happen in like one of these online games within a generation absolutely i i think it's very possible i think the biggest the two biggest unrealisms in the movie interestingly have nothing to do with anything inside that world the two biggest problems with that movie one it's something that you commented on to me earlier was the joke of a server room that <laughs> server room is tiny room. it's like it's like six minutes <laughs> It was like running on like a four Dell. It's like running on like four Dell forty sixes or something from the year nineteen ninety seven. It's like what is this? <laughs> but they had to show something. I get it. But anyway, they had to show something, and it was like yeah. But like no, I mean like there there are cryptocurrency factories in Czechoslovakia which are larger than that server room. <laughs> Jeez, I mean you couldn't you couldn't even get a ten thousand people to play Minesweeper on that room, let alone no. run that environment no, before it would crash. Yeah, no, it was a joke. Um, so. and, the, and the second one is actually bandwidth and transmission. So you can generate all this stuff and you can run all these algorithms, but then how are you going to translate it to thousands of players located all over the world? Like that's where you get into the real problem. The, you know, the code for all of these characters may be very small, but their data mm. complexity comparatively is quite large. And so yeah. all of their interactions and things like that actually become a challenge to manage the transmission of that information. So those are the only two hesitations I have. I found the world to be incredibly credible and, and a lot of fun, even though 
like every day was Wednesday, which is just wrong. <laughs> so this is my theory on this. All right. And, and you know, that yeah, I could be okay. wrong here, but you know, like if you look at a lot of, uh, so I think of it more like, um, so like take games like fallout 76 or take games like on like elder scrolls, something like that, where you do have players from all over the world connecting, but that doesn't mean that everyone's connecting to the same instance, the same server farm, all that sort of thing. For all we know, there could be 10 guys. There could be a thousand guys all in different pockets. So maybe that's why they were able to destroy one server and it actually worked. Like they didn't go to that in the game. Cause I think that gets too complex for people, but I think just from a, just from a technical perspective, that's how I imagine that would work. It's probably like one instance where this one copy of guy lives in this one copy of guys, the one that uh, got famous, so the so it's almost like a room where uh like you ha- only had like a hundred players and you could just join this room, and uh, because what's her face was uh, the main the main uh, the the love interest I forget her name but anyway um, because yeah. she basically built the game she probably can connect to that uh, pretty quickly or has some sort of backdoor some sort of trick to get to it so that that that's how I think they probably would solve for that. No, that's interesting. That, that that's worth thinking about. Like having this whole, you know, rethinking the multiplayer world not as one world, but one distributed server farm where you actually transfer the players around different places around the server farm depending on what they're interacting with. It's complicated, but it's it's definitely a neat thing to think about. And I and I definitely think it will be a lot easier to get really interesting, really complex AIs like Guy to form in a virtual environment first, then out in the real world, because then all they have to do is, you know, they're already integrated in their world, and their world is their world. Now, how they see it, that's really fascinating. What do they see? You know, what's interesting, too, is you think about it from this way. So let's say you had like a thousand instances of guy. So now yeah. we're talking about, so we have a thousand instances of guy. So this was inevitable in a way that one of them, yes. especially with how, how, the, how the program was written, so this means that in another version, Guy's friend could be the one that would gain sentience. Or another version, it's like, oh, man, that now, now I'm blowing my own mind. Right. And how do they not have cappuccino? Right. This is really what I want to understand. If now there's now a thousand guys and they're all able to adapt based on some evolutionary linkage, how do they not have cappuccino? Why do they go to the same bar every night? I'm really <laughs> disturbed by these things. I want to know why they don't have cappuccino. It would make sense if they did. Okay, so the... All right, so realism score. So in a generation, I think we'll be there. I'm going to, if I'm going to go on a scale of five, I don't know, we, we can call it the Elon scale. We can call it whatever we want at this point. If I, <laughs> well, so, I like putting it out of, uh, out of five Turing. So zero Turing's, to five Turing's. Turing's. All right. So out of five Turing's, I'm going to give this one a four. They're going to lose a few points a little bit. Uh, Cause I mean, uh, again, there, there's some, there's some, uh, this is very high score though, but I mean, okay. 4.5 out of five Turing's. Just because that server scene, I just can't get over. I mean, you're storing an entire multi. I mean, come on. But you, but honestly, four point five out of five for what's supposed to be a video game movie is pretty damn good. Yeah, I go a little lower, but only about a four. I, that server room, really, you know, that's a problem. But yeah, no, everything in here was very well documented, very realistic, and it's coming. I mean, we're gonna have this level. We can definitely have this level of sophistication of games. Uh, given what's out there now. Last thought here, you know, uh, before we wrap up today. So let's say we come across this in real society. What do you think would have happen in real life if we came across a sentient NPC? Let's say someone's playing uh, Elder Scrolls or Fallout 76, and all of a sudden they realize uh, one of the <laughs> one of the characters is now sentient. What do you think the real uh, world reaction would be? 
I, I think there'd be a Twitter war over whether or not he was sentient. And I think we would just spend endless amounts of time and news media coverage trying to decide whether or not they were sentient to no avail. And we would not come up with an answer. I think I think what happened in the movie was fairly realistic. Basically, yeah. you'd have you'd have one company desperately trying to cover it up. <laughs> they, do. yes. they don't want the legal <laughs> headache. They don't want the paperwork. Can you imagine the paperwork that would be involved? I, I mean, I think that now now you're you're kind of getting into spoilers into future episodes that we are going to go into. But the legal realities oh, of sentience God. of an artificial intelligence it's a oh, huge man. topic, and and I, I think we we do not want to go there yet. I think we're okay. Let's okay. ease our viewers into this this very strange world that we're coming into because I don't know yet what they're really uh, ready to uh, handle, and and uh, you know. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Okay. So I think at that point, let's, let's, let's call, let's wrap this up. Uh, okay. Yeah. So let's wrap I want this episode up. I think we're in a good place. So, okay. Well, I think fun. nothing to be scared of. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> don't, you don't, don't have to be panic. kept up at night by, you know, AI is going to murder you or steal your jobs, you know? Yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, us, please. Well, you, you heard him. Uh, we, okay, so we just want to thank all our listeners. Remember, check us out on Podbean. Uh, we're actually going to start uh, putting ourselves on iTunes, Spotify, lots of other accounts. Again, it's only the second episode we recorded, so forgive any audio issues or anything like that. We're still kind of working out the kinks. Anyway, for Kill All Humans, I'm Tim. And I'm Matthew. We'll see you next time. So think that uh, having uh, having Ascension AI not being able to make cappuccino, you're right. I'm th- I think I'm going to go down to a four for the cappuccino thing. That's just weird. <laughs> so here's here's my thing. This is what's been keeping me up all week. Like, and, and this really has to do with like you know spoilers, and not just the spoilers in the movies that we're doing, but spoilers in terms of what's going to happen in reality. And uh, at some point, we have to really have a conversation with our listener if we ever get popular. Like, don't shoot the messenger. Oh, because I mean, someone, think about someone's going to show up. Someone's going to show up at your <laughs> house. <laughs> Right. We should be, you know, send us an email. Tell us all about it. But, like, no, no, no. I mean, like, because here's the thing. Like, one night, one of our viewers, generation for now, could go. Hey, Matt and Tim, what about robot voice here becoming sentient? Or is that just a sweet, sweet fantasy, baby?